Well, it's good to be with y'all tonight. Uh, I preached at Tate's Creek this morning at the Rapid Run, and this is looking out. It looks a little bit different. So, uh, but it really has been great, and uh, I feel like I've already been ministered to uh, just through the music and the singing uh, tonight. It is really uh, a gift uh, to be able to do that, and Justin, Melissa did a great job. But. Um, Yep, like Marshall said, I'm married to Anne, and we have three boys, and that is part of the reason we're smiling. It is nice to have uh, them taken care of. Uh, we've been married about six years, and in the past year, Anne and I have started, well, we occasionally watch television, and when we do, we've in the past year, we've watched this show called Parts Unknown. Uh, it's about a chef named Anthony Bourdain who has what seems to be an unlimited budget because he can basically just go anywhere in the world from like Vietnam to Madagascar to like then like New Orleans, Nashville, Charleston. And basically what he does on this show is he'll go uh, to a city and he usually brings a celebrity with him and they will go to a really nice restaurant in that city and then they'll go to kind of like a local dive not so nice restaurant in that city. And then they'll usually just do something fun and weird and eclectic. One thing they typically do not do is go to a chain restaurant. Uh, except, now we haven't watched every episode, but uh, the only exception I know of is that when they went to Charleston, South Carolina, they devoted half the show to Anthony Bourdain, who's won, I mean, every award a chef can win, they devoted half his show, that episode, to their time at Waffle House. And not just like that he was there, but they spent time critiquing and analyzing the food and uh, these like zoomed in shots of the hash browns and the waffles to the point where you almost want to stop watching and just go to Waffle House. Uh, but that, that episode kind of gained notoriety because it really is a strange picture because he's normally at places that, you know, have a little bit more unique character to them. And here you have this world-renowned chef eating at Waffle House. And it, it really is an odd picture when you step back and think about it. Psalm 23 is, at least the first verse, has probably, even if you're not as familiar with the Bible, is maybe a familiar image you have when you think of Bible verses maybe you've heard or seen. The Lord is my shepherd. It's become normal to us, but it's likely when this was first read or first heard, even though this image of God as our shepherd is taken up later throughout Scripture, it was probably, it probably sounded strange to the ears of these people. In fact, if you read Psalm 1 through 22, you'll hear this God, the Lord, that's the name he uses for himself when he's in the burning bush, when he says, I am who I am. It's, it's his personal name that, that describes his power and his might. If you read Psalm 1 through 22, you'll hear the Lord described as a rock, as a deliverer, as a fortress. All, all these labels that emphasize his power and his might and his glory. And then you come to Psalm 23 and it starts off saying the Lord, this same God, the God who created heaven and earth, who is glorious and powerful, is my shepherd. A shepherd that was an important role, but it was not a sought-after role at this time. In fact, it was often given to the youngest child in the family, which is why, if you're familiar with the story of David, David was the shepherd. He was the youngest. 
Uh, it was given to the youngest because it, it was a hard job. It was, you had to be outside all the time. You had to deal with sheep, who, as we'll talk about later, are not the easiest animals to deal with. And, and no matter what the circumstances were, your role was to protect them. Hail, rain, 110 degree weather, there's a predator coming. The, the, the shepherd had to be there at all times. His life was invested with the sheep. And now in Psalm 23, we're told that the God who created all things, that that God is our shepherd. And so if you're here tonight and, and you struggle to believe that God is interested in you, uh, that he cares about your prayer requests or he cares about maybe what you think is an insignificant life, then this passage is for you and, and it's for me. And so let me read it and then I'll pray for us. Psalm 23, uh, starting in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let me pray. Father, Lord, we read uh, these words and we sang them before and we are just amazed at your care for us. Lord, we confess the ways we have not acknowledged that. Uh, we confess the ways we have run from your care. And right now we pray that as we look at this verse, we read through this passage, Lord, that you would do a great work in our hearts. Lord, that we would grow to trust you more and that we would delight in your care more and more. Father, pour out your spirit. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I have not spent a lot of time around sheep, but uh, I, in preparing for this sermon, I read a book by someone who did spend a lot of time around sheep, and uh, his name's Philip Keller. He wrote a book called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. He's a pastor, but for eight years before, he was, he was a shepherd, and he talks about uh, life as a shepherd, specifically how it pertains to this passage, and uh, in this one section, he describes the challenge of being a shepherd, and there's a lot, but he talks about one of the main challenges is getting sheep just to be in a position where they can not die and uh, live and flourish and eat. And he said, he, he, he noted all these things that, ha that, that have to be taken care of in order for them to be there. They cannot be within eyesight or earshot of a predator. Uh, there cannot be any sort of pestilence or bugs that bother them around. Evidently, they're a social animal. And so any sort of tension or dissension in the flock has to be dealt with before they can just merely lay and graze and eat 
and be nourished. Before the shepherd can lead them to still waters and green pastures, those things have to be taken care of. Now, when we read this passage, one of the things we see over and over again is that they can't do it on their own. The shepherd has to lead them to these places. He has to be the one who makes them lie down in green pastures and lead them beside still waters. When I read this passage, you know, it, it's such a beautiful image, green pastures, still waters. It makes you want to go roll out a blanket by Keeneland or something and just take a really long nap, forget your worries and concerns. And yet, if you're like me, you're probably like a sheep as well in that it's hard. You know, it's, it can be hard for me to let go and just to rest. It can be hard for me just to be in a place where I'm thankful for God's care and, and to actually embrace his care for me. We, we have so many things that, that we're given that are actually meant to make our lives easier and actually meant to enable us to do those things more often. And yet, we are a restless people. Where I was working at in Middle Tennessee State, doing RUF there, I got to know one of the administrators there, and he was saying what was true at MTSU is, is true across campuses nationwide. But the position that universities can't fill fast enough are in their counseling departments. Uh, not as much because of depression as it was in the 90s, more so now because of anxiety, more so because of fear. And, and, and that's not just true on the college campus. That, that, that as many of you all know, is, is just a microcosm of the rest of, of humanity. And it's actually been, been the story of our lives since the fall of man, that, that we are broken, that this world is broken, that we indeed are a restless people. And one of the things this passage is showing us is that we need a shepherd. And, and, and one of the things this passage tells us is that Jesus alone can shepherd us. That he alone can care for us in a way that this world cannot care for us. Jesus told his disciples over and over, because he, he, he's not only ministering to us now, but his disciples dealt with, this, with, with these same struggles we do. He, he told them over and over, I am a king. I'm coming as king, but I'm not coming as the king you think I'm coming as. I'm not coming to be an earthly king with earthly power and give you prosperity. I'm a king who's going to lay down his life and again and again, people like Peter are like, no, 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 surely that is not what you are doing. And over and over again, Jesus says, that's exactly what I'm doing. And as he's approaching the hour of his death, he knows his disciples are fearful. And he tells them this in John. He says to them, as he's approaching his death, he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus invites us in the midst of our weariness to come 
to him. Why? Because he says, not just because it's a great idea or because he wants us to, but because he alone can grant us peace because he alone is the good and true and faithful shepherd. And he longs for us to find rest in him. He not only longs for us to find rest in him, to be nourished by him, but but notice what it goes straight into in verse 3. It's actually what we just sang about right before uh, I got up here to preach. He restores our soul. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Regardless of where you are at tonight or what you believe or what you came in here, what kind of mood you were in when you arrived, I think one thing we could probably, if we're all being honest, need and ask for tonight is that our soul would be restored. You know, that word restore literally means to turn. It's a similar word that, that is used to, for the word repent, to, to actually turn our soul away from confidence in the things of this world to God. It's similar to David's prayer in Psalm 51. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation and renew a right spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And David is saying in this passage, that is who our God is. That, that, that's, that's the type of God we've been created by. And that's the type of God who is our shepherd. He is a God who delights in restoring our soul, in leading us beside still waters and green pastures. As Marshall said in the confession of sin, you know, one of the things we do is, is we're being honest. And we're being honest before God. And, you know, the, the Bible calls us to be honest before one another. Um, but if you're like me and you're in this room, one of the effects of sin, in fact, one of the very first effects of sin is that when we see those things that we do not like about each other, that is not our instinct, is it? Our instinct is not like when we see something about ourselves just to admit it and acknowledge it and ask for forgiveness. We hide. We want to hide. We don't want people to know that. And oftentimes it actually ends up putting a barrier between us and God, and we don't want to come to God to admit to him and confess to him what he already knows about us. And, and I think my struggle to do that, and, and, I would, and I'd wager that one of the reasons you struggle with this too, is that when we do that, we're actually failing to believe that this is the type of God that we have. I won't come to God unless I know that he is a true and faithful shepherd, that he is a God who not only delights in restoring our soul, but can restore our soul, who can lead us beside still waters and green pastures. He nourishes us. He protects us. He restores our soul. He brings us to repentance, but, but he doesn't just leave us there. He, this image doesn't stop there. And, and if you read about God's care for us throughout Scripture, it's not just that God brings us back into fellowship with Him and then leaves us there. But no, He says He leads us in paths of righteousness. 
He not only protects us, he not only nourishes us, but he actually leads us and guides us. And, and these images really are beautiful. I mean, when we look and think about God as our shepherd, it is. It, it's an amazing picture, especially if you have a distant view of God, to know that he's your shepherd. But also, if you've ever read anything about sheep, or if you ever heard this sermon pre- or this passage preached, or uh, anything preached from John 10, you might have heard a pastor or maybe someone that knows sheep well uh, point out that among you know, the animal kingdom, uh, sheep are never listed as one of the brightest animals on the planet. Uh, they'll do things frequently that will make your head scratch and uh, do things that make you realize w- why the job of shepherd still actually exists today. In fact, I remember reading an article a few years ago about a shepherd in Turkey who watched 1,100 of his sheep walk over a cliff. It was a 45-foot cliff, and the first 400, all of them would have died, except the first 400 landed, and then the 700 remaining landed on top of them and didn't die as a result. But that's what sheep do. They do that because they just follow the person in front of them. They just follow, that's what they're prone to do. They will just, if a sheep in front of them is doing something, that's what they do. Um, They don't really critically think about what they're doing. And, you know, you can look back and think, gosh, that was really dumb. I bet they regret that. And the image in Scripture is that we are like sheep and that God's our shepherd. And it's beautiful, but it really is humbling. And that may not be your temptation just to blindly follow people. But regardless of how smart you are or capable you are, Likely, in like 10 or 15 years, you will look back at things you're doing even now or things you will do this year and think, what was I thinking? It's easy to do that now when we look back at like the middle school years. That's really easy for me to do and think, I'll never do that again. Um, But even now, we need a shepherd. One of the images we are told over and over throughout Scripture is that we need a Savior. And this here is driving at home that we need a shepherd. We need a shepherd to guide us and to protect us, to lead us in paths of righteousness. We struggle to believe this, I know. We struggle to believe that we need a shepherd. We struggle to believe this passage is true. And I think probably because of, of two main temptations, basically is what I just said, is that, is that I think... Some of us come to this passage and maybe long to believe and trust God as our shepherd, but have a hard time believing that he's my shepherd. Maybe you believe that he shepherds other people, but not us. But, but I think the other hindrance in trusting and believing that God is our shepherd is actually believing that you need a shepherd. Maybe you think, I'm I'm capable. I, Sure, I might believe in God that he created the world, but I don't need him to be my shepherd. Maybe some less stable people need God in that role, but I, I don't, you know, I've made a lot of money, or I'm really smart, or I'm really socially capable. And I, I don't need God in that role in my life. But one of the things the Bible assumes, and we'll, and we'll hear Jesus talk about this in, in just a second, is that actually all of us 
are listening to a voice. And all of us are being shepherded by something or someone. We all have this idea, this, this vision of what a good and meaningful life is. And, and whether or not we could like list that or articulate it, something is guiding the way you behave. And something is guiding the way you treat other people. And this passage really does afford us the opportunity to be honest and to step back and ask, who or what is shepherding me? Whose voice is informing the way I use my money? What narrative am I buying into? What is shepherding me in, in, in such a way that I would treat people the way that I do? And as we start the second half of 2017, it might be a great opportunity to step back and, and be honest and ask ourselves, who are we listening to? What are we listening to? Who is guiding us? Jesus, in John 10, picks up this metaphor where he says, I am the true and good shepherd. And he says, one of the things that a, that a good shepherd does is that he goes before his sheep and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus is assuming, and I think if we are honest, we can see this is true, that we are all listening to a voice. And one of the things he's saying that characterizes is his children is that his children, his flock, will listen to his voice. So what voice are you listening to? We have to ask that question. We also have to ask, what would it look like to listen to Jesus' voice? And, and when I ask that question, you may be thinking, well, what does that mean? Well, to listen to Jesus' voice is, is to read the word that he affirms and quotes throughout his ministry, to read the Bible. Uh, we believe that God actually talks to us through his body as well, through his people. He's given us a conscience. He's poured out his spirit. What would it look like to make decisions based upon God's word? What would it look like to have God's people and God's word having a voice in the way you use your time? Or in the way you talk with your coworkers or your neighbors? It's a good question to ask, especially as we look at this passage. What is leading us? Who is leading us? And, and even as you're asking that question, some of you, if you're like me, you're thinking, I know, I know I need to be listening to God more. In fact, if all of us were honest, all of us would answer yes to that question because there is some part of our life, even if you are really doing well and growing a lot as a believer there are parts of your life that the Word of God needs to make and mold. There are others of you in this room thinking, I know, I need that. I do. I need to listen to the Good Shepherd. I need to have Him mold me and make me. And yet it is, it is a scary prayer to pray, isn't it? Because when we do that, we are surrendering control. And it can be scary because we know, okay, Lord, if you're going to have 
more of a voice in my life, that means there are things that I love that I may, you know, you may not have to give them up, but you may. You're, you're, you're saying that you no longer have the last word on that. That your freedom now and your comfort is now not the most important thing. And that is hard. It is. It's a hard and it's a scary prayer. And, and, and one of the things I love about the Psalms in general, but, and this one is, is just as true as you read throughout the rest of them, but the psalmist doesn't paint a picture that being shepherded by Jesus will be easy. That's one of the things when people ask me why I believe Christianity, I, I just think it paints such an honest picture of who we are, what this world is like, but also of what following Jesus is like. It, it, because the psalm here does not paint an easy picture that it'll just be like going from one mountaintop to the next and we will just love following Jesus all the time. No, it, it, it is going to be hard. Notice verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We will walk through valleys in this world. And in this life, Jesus promises us, you will face tribulation. And in and actually, in a strange way, and what this passage proposes to us is, is that actually in those moments can be the moments where we actually grow to know our God and trust Him even more because He's with us. It's, it, it, it's, it's, it's strange that that would be the calculus in the Christian life sometimes, that actually in really, really, really hard times, when it seems as though we have no hope, we realize Christ is our only hope. Because it's oftentimes in the valleys where the things of this world are exposed. And the things of this world and the people of this world that we put our hope in, whom we put our hope in, are revealed. That though they might be good things, they cannot withstand our hope. And it's oftentimes in those valleys that we realize only God can bear the weight of my hope and only God can bear the weight of my dreams and my grief and my security. C.S. Lewis, I think this is paraphrasing, he says, you know, on the mountaintops, God speaks to us. In the valleys, he screams to us. James Boyce says, we are never so conscious of the presence of God as when we pass through life's valleys. Although he's not merely present, the image we're given is that God is not just merely present with us in the valleys, but he's actually intimately with us. Notice the language they use to describe God's presence. And actually notice the turn in the way he addresses God. Verses 1 through 3, the Lord is my shepherd. Third person, he makes me lie down in green pastures beside still waters. And then all of a sudden... It's actually in the valley of the shadow of death. All of a sudden, the psalmist doesn't cry out, the shepherd is with me or the Lord is with me. All of a sudden, the shepherd becomes his shepherd. And he says, you are with me. 
your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And then notice what he says in verse 5. He's not only with us, but he prepares a table before us in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That's, that's the type of God we have, and, and that's the type of God who is leading us. You know, as we're thinking about what's shepherding us or who's shepherding us, one of the other questions we have to ask is, where is my view? Where is my worldview? Or where is this voice that's shepherding me leading me? The voice of the true shepherd is leading you to a future with him. That will be marked by complete safety and security in a place with no death and no tears. And so what that means is that regardless of maybe how fainting or weak your faith is here tonight. Maybe you came and you actually questioned why you were coming on the way over here. And you're barely clinging to Jesus. The worst possible outcome for you tonight and at the end of your life is that you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's the worst possible outcome is that you will actually be with Jesus forever and ever. And he will be your God and we will be his people. Goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives. That's not just follow like the way I follow hockey, which is not incredibly in depth. I don't, you know, I'll read the result. I don't really pay much attention to it, but follow it like like pursuing, like the way you pursue that job you really want or that person that you really want to pay attention to you. God in his goodness and mercy is pursuing us all the days of our lives and we will dwell with him forever and ever. That is where God is taking us. That's the future he's leading us towards. But I know even as beautiful as a picture as that is, we will find ourselves, maybe tonight, maybe tomorrow, saying, Lord, I believe that. And maybe the next moment saying, Lord, that is, that's a fairy tale. That sounds great, but I'm not there yet. Why can we trust that what God says is true? Why, why, why do we have a hope that's real? Because we have a Savior that in history not only took on the role of shepherd, but he actually took on the role of the sacrifice as well. He's not only the good shepherd, he's also the lamb of God. He's the only person in this world who as a shepherd also became a sheep. He's the only one who can lead you and guide you and shepherd you without taking your life, but actually giving you life because on the cross, that's exactly what he did. He became the Lamb of God to suffer in your place. Isaiah 53, 6, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him 
the iniquity of us all. We have all turned away. We all deserve to be judged by God, but he pours out iniquity not on us, but on him. As you read earlier, I'm the good shepherd, Jesus says. I know my own. He knows you. And my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Isn't that the type of shepherd you want? And maybe you're here tonight and you're not even sure that you are really interested in reading the Bible. But but isn't that the type of Savior you would want to lead you and guide you and keep you? Isn't that the type of person that you would want to be molded and restored by, that we might listen to his voice, that we might live out of his love, that we might love others. Let's pray to that end tonight. Let me pray. Father, God, we thank you, Lord, that you don't leave us where we are. You don't. But Lord, you came to this earth And Lord, from the very beginning of your ministry, you were called the Lamb of God. You came with one mission, and that was to get your flock. Not because we're impressive, Lord, but we're sheep. Lord, and and so God, we thank you that you don't love us because of, of who we are or how great our faith is, but Lord, you love us because of your kindness and mercy. God, thank you for that truth. Lord, might we learn to delight in it, might we learn to listen to it and be molded and reformed by it. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.